are back. Welcome again to the YOY podcast where your hosts, Tyler Brett and myself, Tyler Soldat, we break down the breakdowns that happen year after year with our beloved Seattle Mariners. Tyler Brett, how are you doing? I am going to need a hug after this one, I think. <laughs> I, I, um, I'm really excited because uh, we're going to break, break the mold a little bit tonight. We are, yeah. We're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're, we have been doing nothing but breaking down single players and why they disappointed us so much. Now we're going to take a, a larger view and look at an entire season. And uh, we have picked a doozy of a season. Now, if you had, have been listening, then you would probably suspect we would have gone with the 2010 season because it cut us so very deeply. It's, uh, it's low-hanging fruit. It is. <laughs> so we decided to challenge ourselves, and we went looking for another season. And it didn't take us long to hit the 2013 season, which then team CEO Howard Lincoln described. Now, Howard Lincoln being a man who understands disappointment and frustration, <laughs> called the 2013 season the most disappointing and frustrating season of his tenure. Yikes. Without question, which we'll get into more uh, later. Those are, those are strong words. Those are fighting words. Yeah. You don't make those ty- kinds of claims lightly when you're Howard Lincoln and you've already been at the helm of the Seattle Mariners for a decade at this point. <laughs> because you, you, this is him saying that after the 2010 season. Yeah, he went through the 2010 season. And he's like, man, I yearn for the days of 2010. <laughs> That's that's deeply upsetting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so normally this is where I would do the the, the stat of the podcast. Um, I do want to issue a quick warning uh, to those um, listeners out there who may have listened to our last episode uh, about um, a not so successful catcher uh, and continued statistical frustration, Miguel Olivo. Um, may have noted that there's a possibility you could hear uh, clinking from ice cubes <laughs> in the background. Did you hear about this, or did you did you notice that? I did notice that. It's t- <laughs> it's, I can only edit out so much. <laughs> um, my my uh, drinking problem has been a, a topic of frequent conversation on this podcast. So I just want to warn you right now that there is a possibility you're going to hear it again, because uh, in um, in honor of having a season that has the same old fashioned disappointment as we've seen year after year, I did make myself an old fashioned. There you go, keeping it classy. <laughs> I, I always do. Um, luckily, I'm not wearing pants, so it, it kind of... Uh, Evens it out. Yeah, you got to <laughs> average things out. Well, good. I'm glad you're right there with me. So, uh, speaking of things taking a terrible turn, like finding out uh, I I'm, I'm, may or may not be clothed from the waist down, um, this, that brings us to the side of the podcast. And this one is a real doozy because it seems like it'd be just very difficult to do. Um, Seattle did not place well in terms of ERA in 2013. That was one of the reasons for their struggles, but particularly from their bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, wind up finishing 29th in, uh, in baseball for their relief ERA. But that is not the stat, my friend. It's not. It is a stat, but not it is a stat. A stat. <laughs> The stat is that in 2013, the Mariners were lucky enough to have two pretty good pitchers in Felix Hernandez and Hisashi Iwakuma. Arguably the best one-two combination in baseball that year. Oh, absolutely. And, and certainly that continued on to, to 2014 as well. They combined for a war of 12.2, uh, which is actually pretty good. Not too shabby. With Iwakuma actually finishing higher than Hernandez that season. Um, however, the other 20 pitchers on the Mariners roster, 20 pitchers combined for a war of negative 0.2. Oof. <laughs> Which is, is, 
it just it feels so hard to do and and that is bad that's really bad it's certainly not good which <laughs> will be the running theme i think of this team <laughs> so as we get into this nightmare of a season like take a step back and just kind of take an overview of what happened all right so the mariners finished 71 and 91 20 games under 500 that's good for fourth in the American League West, 25 games behind the Oakland A's, who won the division. Wow. The Oakland did not even have Seattle in their rear view. They were 25 games behind Oakland and actually 20 games behind the, uh, behind the wild card. They were, yeah. they, they were not close to anyone. They were not. <laughs> the only team they were ahead of that year in the West was Houston, who is in the AL for the first time, I believe. Yeah, and that was when Houston used to be a, a bad ball club. Yeah, Houston was just losing games like it was going out of style <laughs> so that they could then be an excellent ball club at, at some point. They were doing kind of successfully what the Mariners had been trying to do, Yeah, uh, which is uh, lose a little bit to uh, win a little bit later on. Mariners could not get that second part right. No. They kept getting hung up on that first step. <laughs> So the team leadership that year, uh, you have Eric Wedge as the manager. This is his third season. This is kind of his make-or-break year. This is when all of his teachings and lessons are supposed to be taking root. Oh, boy. And the team is going to take off. Uh, You have Jack Sorensic in his fifth season, who is continuing to do something that he passes off as a plan. We're not sure what. But he continues to have a job at this point. Now, we don't want to be like all negative about this. Obviously, the, their final record wasn't good. Uh, the fact that they continued to employ Jack Sorensic, not good. Uh, but there were some highlights. Uh, they did spend three days in first place of the AL West during the season. But that didn't, uh, that didn't last too long. Well, no, none of those days came after April 3rd, which I think was like the fourth day of the season. <laughs> But that's, that's not the point. The point was that they were there. You know, they, they started off strong. Uh, they, they actually uh, started off pretty well in, in 2013, winning their first game as they had been doing for, for quite a bit. I think we talked about that being the, one of the records that they were tied for. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they started off with a four-game series against the Athletics, uh, wound up being 2-1. and one. Um, through through those three games through April third, and uh, then that was all, all she wrote. Yeah. Uh, so they did end up having a, a nice winning streak of eight games in July. Uh, they shut out opponents fourteen times that year. They had three walk off wins, uh, and they did go fifteen and ten in July. So, no, oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, the bad news with that is that is the only month uh, that they had a winning record. Oof. The other months, the other months were were really, really not winning records. <laughs> if we're, if we're going to talk about highlights, we should probably talk about the lowlights as well. While they were in first place in the AL West for all of three days, uh, they did wind up at some point during the season being twenty-one games under five hundred which is really bad. It's like the opposite of winning baseball. <laughs> they had that eight-game winning streak in July, which was awesome because they had to make up for an eight-game losing streak in May. Got to balance it out. Yeah. Now, the, the, the one thing that they did seem to do a little bit better, um, again, is we can kind of point to pitching as being one of the few saving graces of the Mariners over the, over the years, even though in 2013 it wasn't great, they still managed to shut out opponents more often than they were shut out as a team. They were uh, shut out 11 times. Uh, so they were plus three in the, uh, in the shutout department. That's not, that's not too bad. That's something. <laughs> but they were minus 10 in the walk-off losses that department. That sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they had only three walk-off wins to 13 walk-off losses, so that points to the bullpen struggles that kind of happened all year long. 
that's, my friends, is how you get to a uh, negative 0.2 war for uh, combined 20 pitchers. It's true. There's, there's, a, there's a method to it. <laughs> doesn't happen by accident. They were um, really bad in one-run games, 19 and, and 29. That, that feeling about the Mariners kind of, you know, if you see that it's tied going into the ninth, and you kind of just turn off the TV. I remember you and I having this conversation earlier where you just kind of go, yeah, it's over. They've lost. If there's not a, a two-run lead or a three-run lead going into the eighth or the ninth, you might as well not check your phone. Yeah, they're going to find a way to drop this. It's a, it's a, it's a really weird feeling to, um, to n- never be optimistic when it comes down to a final few innings. Well, in their defense, though, as bad as they were in one-run games, they were worse in blowouts. I don't know if that makes me feel better. <laughs> no? Oh, well, you know, they're 19 and 29 in, in one-run games that year. Uh, in games that were decided by five or more runs, mm-hmm. uh, they were 18 and 36. So 36 times they just got blown off the diamond. Yikes. So there were, uh, there were 36 games in which they scored five fewer runs than their opponents? Yeah, at least five. That's, that's really bad. Yeah, I would imagine <laughs> at least half of those 36 blowout losses, if the mercy rule were a thing in Major League Baseball, <laughs> it would, they would have flirted with it. At least half of those, I think. The 2013 outlook was not necessarily optimistic. Um... I think a lot of people had kind of tempered expectations because of how consistently poor um, the product was on the field, kind of from 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 2009 through 2012. So no one was expecting 2013 Seattle Mariners to win the American League West and then you know go on and be successful in the in the playoffs. I don't think that that was ever a realistic prediction. But I also don't think that being 20 games out of first place was also part of that prediction. No, the expectation, I think, universally, looking at this team and this roster, was that they were going to be competitive. Now, they weren't going to win the World Series. They were, probably weren't going to win the West. But they were going to be there and being involved in the wild card race conversation, at least, not only on those wild card lists that includes every team in the American League so that the Mariners got on there, but actual <laughs> like viable wild card teams. Like they were supposed to do that. They, this was a young team with a young core with some veteran presence. This was, like I said, the third year under Eric Wedge. So this was kind of the time for this team to take off. They had one of the best farm systems in all of all the baseball, uh, and they were even picked as kind of a sleeper team to make a postseason run, which was kind of surprising. But there was a reason behind some of that that tempered optimism, and that was from like the 2012 season. They were they were they were not good. There was not a good team. They didn't finish. They were not they were not a competitive team in 2012 either. But they had some points where you were like, hey, this team could do some stuff. Mm-hmm. Like in, in June, they had that six-pitcher no-hitter against the Dodgers. That was great. I watched that live. That was, that was a fun game. That was. Uh, you had seven and eight-game winning streaks in July and August. You had the perfect game from Felix in August. So you had all these like great moments that filled you with optimism heading into the next season that let's build on those and maybe be competitive. And you saw some stats that made you think that maybe it was possible. In 2012, they went 25 and 28 in one-run games. So the idea was you win a few more of those, you tip the scales, maybe make the playoffs. And as we've already discussed, they went the wrong direction with that. Yeah, there's there's that kind of old adage of how you correct bad team. You, you're, you're a bad team, you're going to 
lose big. As you improve, you're going to lose small. Then you're going to win small, and then eventually you're going to win big. And it's it's about managing expectations. They're in that point now where they're losing small. There's a, a reasonable expectation they could start to at least win small in 2013. Um, and and a lot of the that expectations and reason for optimism um, comes into play because they did not finish well in 2012 either. So you think to yourself, the Mariners finished last in the American League West, 19 games out of first. How could they possibly finish worse than 19 games out of first? And how could they possibly finish worse than 18 games out of the wild card? So there's reasons for optimism, both in terms of looking forward to 2013 and looking back at 2012. Yeah, you also look at that 2012 team, they were the seventh best team in terms of runs allowed, and they were the only team in the top 10 in 2012 of runs allowed with a losing record. So you had great pitching with just terrible hitting. So like just if we could just fix that offense to score a few more runs, that'll get us over that hump. And so during the offseason, they added Kendris Morales and Michael Morse to be solid hitters in the lineup. They didn't need them to be world beaters just be serviceable, professional hitters. And then they also needed, obviously, big seasons from their young core, including Dustin Ackley, Jesus Montero, uh, Nick Franklin, who eventually comes up. But they weren't necessarily dependent on them carrying this team. They, they felt like they had enough pieces to be able to, to be competitive, and then getting contributions from those guys, that young core, would just take them over the top. Yeah, they, they, they added, you, you mentioned Kendris Morales, Michael Morris. They also added Raul Ibanez and Jason Bay um, to kind of help with that outfield platoon. I think they, you know, they kind of realized there are two major weak spots in the lineup. That's the catching position and the outfield. Um, and the infield. <laughs> um, but, you know, they also lost, I say lost in, in quotes, they lost Miguel Olivo. This oh, is where no. that transition comes in. This is the end of the Miguel Olivo era. Um, they got rid of Jason Vargas, um, who was their second best pitcher in 2012. Kevin Millwood and John Jaso, which was a, a, another part of that kind of platoon of catchers. Um, but, you know, again, those projections, while not saying that the Mariners are going to necessarily blow anyone out of the water, they were still projecting at least kind of positive contributions from their younger core in a kind of like tempered projection. So should we break down the the month-by-month kind of um, mess that happened, or uh, how would you, how how do you want to tackle a season with so many disappointing memories? Well, we could, yeah, let's talk about the month-by-month split. Because uh, so they have these these expectations of being competitive, right out of the gate, they kind of stumble. They go twelve and seventeen in April, with a run differential of minus thirty three. That's really bad. They had a road record of four and nine and a home record of uh, eight and eight. They still cannot find a way to win in Safeco. Yeah, so right out of the gate not putting their best foot forward. So they're like, okay, we'll turn this around in May. And they, they kind of do in a way. Uh, they go 12-14, and 14, so they still have a, a losing record. Uh, but their run differential is only negative one in May. So things are turning around. Things maybe are starting to click. Not so fast. <laughs> well, May is interesting because it's one of the few months, it's actually one of only two months that year where they had a, a winning record at home. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no month, uh, excuse me, July was the only month where they had both a winning record at home and on the road. Um, but they, they actually managed to improve both, and you would hope that that's a kind of a trend that continues. Because we're talking about a year where... You have a manager that's finally able to implement his scheme and a GM that's finally able to implement his vision for the kind of players they are trying to get. Um, sometimes you have a slow start. Yeah, you got those young, you have young guys, you have a young core, 
You have some older guys who are in new in new situations. You had to give them a chance to get their feet wet. Let them let them you know find, figure it out. So May was that month that you're like, hey, maybe these guys are figuring it out. The team is now uh, 24 and 31, so not great, but you know by no means out of it. So a good strong June would put them around. Oh wait, no, they go 11 and 16. <laughs> With a run differential of negative 32. Oh, boy. That is what's known in the business as taking a step backwards. Yeah, it's... uh, When things are going well, do not expect them to continue, folks. And, like, things, things weren't even going that well. Like, when things are not just going horrendously terrible. (laughs) That was a... That was a stretch that saw the Mariners uh, not win more than two games in a row um, at any one point during the month, uh, and um, more often than not were losing two games in a row followed by a single win. It, it was just, it, when you look at the, the lines in, in terms of who won and who lost, you're seeing a lot of Hernandez's, and you're seeing a lot of Iwakuma's, and then no one else and uh, a lot of a lot of opposing pitchers names a lot of opposing pitchers names and in the last columns it's it's a familiar story across the line it's relief pitching yeah i think looking through like the the bullpen for this year there isn't a single relief pitcher who finished the year with a winning record they all came in and just lost games and, and, and that kills you because then you feel like you have to keep your starters in for longer so you're going to wear them out. So then the next time they come in, they're not going to be as good and they're not going to last as long, which then means that you've got to have to trot out your shitty reliefers even more. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really it's a vicious cycle is really what it is. It's not good. It's a, it's a very Seattle Mariners-esque cycle. <laughs> it sure is. It's not good. <laughs> Any time that you need uh, Oliver Perez to pitch 53 innings for you, you're doing something wrong. Oof. So July was uh, a bit of a step up. Again, they had in May that, that eight-game losing streak. In June, they can't string um, more than two wins together. Um, but in July, they actually uh, they do manage to kind of kick it into gear, and I don't know if it's the warm weather or what starts happening. Um, the ball starts jumping or not, but this must have been the month that they got to play the Astros uh, <laughs> at least twelve times. That must have been it. They 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 finally managed to um, score more runs than they allowed. That's the only yeah. month in which they they did that. Yep, plus 12. Plus 12, good for them. Finished uh, 15-10 and 10 through that month, had the eight-game winning streak. Tom Wilhelmson saves um, six straight opportunities without blowing one, which isn't something that he had done yet all year. The Mariners that, that wind was up... Not a, that was not a trend for him in <laughs> no. 2013. No, that was a rarity. And and as bad as they had been, you know, we're talking about eight-game losing streaks. We're talking about um, only one month uh, so far of being able to score more runs than your opponents. The Mariners find themselves on July 25th just four games under five hundred, which is is not terrible, again, considering where they had been in 2012, and then where they wind up at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, these things start to kind of, the wheels t- start to fall off the season for reals uh, in August, where they drop off, you know, they, they kept riding high, that eight-game winning streak, 15-10 and 10 record. Uh, August brings them back down to earth. They go 12-16, and 16, and with a run differential of negative 45. Oof. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's really bad. Yeah, like you thought, you thought the run differentials from earlier in the year, the 30s, those were bad. Those sounded really bad. August, they got outscored by 45 runs. Go 12 and 16, and basically 
have everyone switch over to see what uh, the NFL is doing at this point. Yeah, I mean, thank God the Seahawks are on, right? Yeah. Really. Um, <laughs> I, hear, I hear they have a pretty good baseball play in Russell Wilson. Yeah, he probably could have done some damage on this team. He would have been better than Tom Wilhelmson, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, August August was was straight up awful. They go two and ten at Safeco. Um, they do wind up having barely a winning record on the road. Um, but again, they can't string more than two runs together until they play the Astros at the end of the month. Um, they wind up undoing all the good work they did in July and have a, another long losing streak. They lost six games um, between August 23rd and August 28th, uh, playing the Angels and Rangers. Um, and uh, the, the only bright spot seems to be August is when they bring up Danny Farquhar. Mm-hmm. And he <laughs> very, very quickly... Uh, piles up nine consecutive saves, which, if you're if you're keeping track, is uh, three more consecutive saves than Tom Wilhelmson had gotten in uh, four months so far that season. He was kind of one of the few bright spots of 2013. Yeah, if there was, yeah, if there was anything anything to like about the 2013 season, it was probably the rise of Danny Farquhar, who was generously listed at five foot nine and just he was like he was a good story you liked watching him he came in he had a lot of success and then obviously Seattle pushed him aside immediately because why run with a good thing oh that's just I mean you're just not used to it it scared them they were like (laughs) we don't know how to how to respond to this we don't know what's going on Let's let's make sure he's stuffed into middle relief or send him back down to AAA. Yeah, they, so they 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 go twelve and sixteen in August. That is pretty terrible. There's not many ways that you can get worse, um, unless you continue to play in the month of September, which the Mariners, for whatever reason, decided to do. Yeah, I don't know how many of the Mariners they actually told that they were going to do that. <laughs> so they finished just nine and eighteen. Again, got outscored by 31 runs and just put a stinker of a cap on this season. They probably ended the year in the most fitting fashion. They were playing the A's, and they lost 9-zip. Yeah. I, I, that, with a, an attendance under 20,000 people to sparsely watch your team lose again is really gross <laughs> like i just i just feel icky thinking about it they uh they went five and seven at home four and eleven on the road can't find a winning record anywhere they go they had uh four losing streaks of three games or more in a single month which is really tough um three to start out the month from september 1st through 3rd they had a five-game losing streak in the middle of the month and then capped off the end of the month with um, two three-game losing streaks with a, with a tiny, little, uh, tiny little win by Hisashi Ibukuma tucked in there, nestled sweetly uh, right in between, and then for whatever reason decided to go four and three to kind of end the year and pretend like they were going to start playing baseball again. So foolish. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was a, a very very fitting end to the year. Hernandez couldn't, couldn't get wins because he, uh, he was never getting uh, the run support he needed. At one point in the year, uh, in, in July, Hernandez is... Um, or sorry, not in, in July, in August... He was twelve and five um, on August eleventh, and uh, he has the opportunity to uh, finish the season really strong and become one of the few bright spots of the Seattle Mariners. But he never really gets that chance because he doesn't get the run support for uh, any kind of positive decision and winds up finishing the year twelve and ten. 
with five straight losses, even though he yeah. didn't pitch that poorly. No, he, he, had, he had solid numbers across the board. It was obviously one of the few years where he was not like the top pitcher in the Seattle rotation. Uh, Hisashi Iwakuma had like a breakout year, but he was still good enough that he, he should have won at least 15 games. I mean, we could say that ab- about him every year. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 that is just that is just depressing. Yeah, you look at the with their lineup. They had two players who were everyday players for them hit better than two fifty, and that was Kyle Seeger, who hit two sixty that year, and Kendris Morales, who hit two seventy seven. 277 was the was that was the best that the team could do which is average at best. Yeah, I, I, um Morales uh, by Mariner standards hit pretty well. Kyle Seeger had a breakout year. Unfortunately, almost completely overshadowed by the failure of people who were supposed to break out mm-hmm. in 2013 and the and the failure of expectations that were never met. Oh God! Do we talk about catching? <laughs> I think we have to when you look at the names on this <laughs> roster. Oh man! So you have this is the year that Mike Zunino gets called up, and everyone agrees that it's too soon. He's been rushed through the the farm system, and he's generally seen as a disappointment. He hits two fourteen, an on base percentage of two ninety, an OPS of six twenty. He strikes out 49 times in 52 games, has 14 RBI, five home runs. Overall, not a great season. Yeah. But still, the best catcher Seattle had that year. Yeah. And you you can see that problem taking shape in the history of Seattle Mariners catching up to that point. Because you've been trying for the last 10 years to find the catcher of the future. And when you think that you found him and you feel like that's one of the few shots you're going to have to actually have this kind of positive momentum going into the season, I can, I can see how a consistently poorly managed front office who likes to rush talent through a system once they finally find it because they don't seem to do a very good job of actually finding it in the first place, would want to throw them out there a little bit early. And, and it wound up costing them a lot. Yeah. Well, when you look at what they had there, so this was the year that Jesus Montero was supposed to take control of this position and run with it. Instead, <laughs> what he did was he hit 208, with a 264 on base percentage, 590 OPS, uh, with 21 strikeouts in 29 games, with three home runs and nine RBI. And everyone understands that Jesus Montero's defense is a liability. Everyone understands that his saving grace is his offense, is his ability to hit the ball. So when he's hitting the ball at a clip of 208, then he's really giving you nothing is what they're saying. Yeah. But Seattle flanked him with the also doing nothing of Kelly Shopik, who hit 196, and Henry Blanco, who hit a robust 125. Oof. 125 is, is really, really bad. 196 is really bad. Actually, yeah. 208 is really bad, and so is yeah. 214. Yeah. <laughs> It's just all bad. But Kelly Shopik, in his defense, did strike out 45 times in 35 games. So that's a, that's a breakneck pace. Yeah, actually, all four of those catchers didn't have particularly great strike-to-walk ratios. And, and to cap it off, uh, you have... This is, this is the, the time where Jesus Montero is uh, connected to the... Biogenesis doping ring. So you got yeah, that really, going for you, which is nice. Really helping himself out. <laughs> yeah, he. Um, Can you imagine how bad he would have been if he weren't on steroids? Well, that's what's crazy is it, it, it makes me feel like 
Jesus Montero might be the best argument for just legalizing steroids in baseball. Yeah. Because then you go, look, man, this is this is not helping. It's it's like when we found out that uh, Michael Phelps, there was that video of him uh, smoking a bong. Am I am I saying that right? <laughs> I, I feel so old right now. He was doing something with something. <laughs> he was smoking drugs, Tyler. He, he was. was smoking drugs. But. <laughs> Anyway, my point being is that uh, he was a he was a smoker, and the guy's a swimmer. He can still win seven gold gold medals while being while smoking in his in his off time. If anything, he should get an extra medal for it yeah. and not be punished. If, if <laughs> that's that's all I'm saying, Tyler. I remember when that news broke, and they said Jesus Montero was connected to Biogenesis, possible steroids. I was like, man. I hope he can get his money back. <laughs> that was my first reaction because it, because I was like, it obviously is not working out for him. He's not he's not seeing the benefits on the field, mm-hmm. and now he's in trouble. Man, I hope they at least like throw him a couple free samples under the under the table or something. Got to do something for him. Yeah, if if you were the investigator in that case and you see his name come up from the list of clients. I wonder if at some point you're like, ah, really? Like, are you are you sure? You can you know show him the, a picture or a, you know an address, maybe social security number, and and I, I feel like it would still take a little bit of convincing. Yeah, you would need. He would need to like show up to his drug test with a needle still in his hip. I think. <laughs> And even to, then, you would maybe be concerned that he has diabetes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, he's, he's at least pre-diabetic. <laughs> uh, he's, he's certainly not seeing the benefit from uh, what he wound up being suspended for anyways. Mm-hmm. And the Mariners certainly didn't see the benefit of someone that they traded a, a, an A-plus pitching prospect uh, and and rookie pitching success to the Yankees for either. Yeah, yeah. If if Michael Pineda's shoulder hadn't exploded, <laughs> then that would have immediately like jumped up the echelon of terrible Mariners trades. Now that that is the medical. Um, that's a proper medical terminology you're using, correct? Yep. yep. Exploded. Yep. yep. He has exploding. exploding shoulder syndrome. Yeah, he's exploding shoulder syndrome. That's uh, is that what Eric Bedard had? No, his was his back. He had old man back. <laughs> old man back and exploding shoulder syndrome. Yeah, the the training room and in Safeco is a very exciting place. <laughs> I uh, old man back sounds like a great name for a band. <laughs> just just throwing that out there. Yeah. yeah. They, um, <laughs> the, the Mariners did have some, had some bright spots. Danny Farquhar, uh, Kendis Morales, Kyle Seeger, but they, they really, it was the pitching where you were not pleasantly surprised by anybody. Maybe except for Hisashi Iwakuma only because mm-hmm. people hadn't really been exposed to him before. But there was there was really no one else where you were you were be able to say to yourself that this person performed better than expected, um, yeah. And that's what leads to one of the worst bullpens in baseball. Absolutely. Yeah, you have the like second to worst e- relief ERA in in the league that year, uh, and basically beyond Iwakuma and Hernandez, you got nothing from your pitching staff. So you have. Iwakuma finishes the year with a 2.66 ERA. Felix finishes with a 3.04 ERA. Those are both strong numbers. Yeah. The rest of the rotation, nobody finishes with lower than a 4.98, and that was at Erasmo Ramirez, who only started 13 games and finished with a 4.98 ERA, but had a whip of 1.452 and went five and three. So he's yeah. the only other pitcher. 
other than Hisashi Iwakuma and Felix Hernandez, who has a winning record at the end of the year. And I think it's probably because he didn't get more than 13 starts. Yeah, that, that, that is, I'm sure, the only reason, because he didn't wind up pitching too well in 2014. No. <laughs> um, the, the average ERA in the American League in 2013 was 4.33, uh, which is not actually particularly great in terms of an average, but the other starters who are not named Iwakuma and Hernandez, that being, so you have Joe Saunders, you have Aaron Harang, Brandon Maurer, and Erasmo Ramirez, they combined for a 5.64 ERA, which is not good. That's, that's far from good. Um, and, and this is taking place mostly in Safeco Field. Mm-hmm. Which is designed to help these pitchers. <laughs> which, which brings you to uh, one of the things that happened in between the 2012 and 2013 seasons, which is the lowering of the fences and bringing the fences in a little bit to try and kind of spur on a little bit of offense, which it kind of did, but... Not in the way that they were hoping for. Not in the way that they were hoping. And when you think about it, really, how, how are you surprised at all, Mariners? What are you thinking? You move the fences in. Of course it's going to help your team. By the way, it's also going to help everyone else that they play who maybe don't have as good a pitching. Yeah, but who probably has a better hitting lineup. Absolutely. Absolutely. And their hitting is going to outplay your pitching. So even though the Mariners wind up improve their scoring by 13% from their, their kind of average that they'd have uh, since 2009, uh, their opponents wind up increasing it by about 20%, 19% yeah. it was, um, and, and, and wind up performing better at Safeco than they did. Yeah, so it was like their strategy was if a boxer is really good at at avoiding contact. That's, his, that's the way he's found success. He's all about ducking and moving and counterpunching. Uh, and then he decides, I want to take my game to the next level. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop my hands and not protect my face. <laughs> my hands are going to be free to throw more punches, mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. Was true, which is true. Uh, but he isn't thinking about those unintended consequences of getting punched in the face a lot more often. <laughs> just, just one of the many ways that uh, being a Mariners fan mimics the physical abuse of boxing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the Mariners, um, so when all is said and done, their rankings in the American League, they did not perform well in the American League. Like we said, they were 25 games back of Oakland to end the year. They were 20 games back of the wild card to end the year. They were last in the American League in batting average, which, by the way, they had finished last in the American League in batting average the previous four years as well. So at least they're consistent. They were 13th in on-base percentage, 10th in slugging percentage, 12th in runs scored, 12th in RBI, and 13th in ERA. Did not finish better than 10th in any of those categories. Except, good sir, home runs. Yeah, yeah, they they could hit the long ball, but there wasn't anybody on base in front of them. <laughs> They, they uh, hit the second most home runs in the American League, but, you know, when they're all solo home runs, it doesn't really do you any good, man. It doesn't, nope. When they're all solo home runs, you've got to hit a lot of home runs to make up a six-run deficit. <laughs> that's, that's very true. They, they wound up being the only club that posted fewer than 3,000 runs, um, which was, by the way, uh, over 150 runs below the second-to-last-place finisher. So at least they didn't leave any doubt. (laughs) No. So the season comes to an end. Everybody's sad. 
And so there are going to have to be some changes, you would think. You would but hope. It, you would hope. But it turns out not to be like the changes that people really want. So obviously fans are getting fed up and they are calling for a complete house cleaning. They want everybody gone. But the only person who ends up leaving is Eric Wedge. But not because the team got rid of him. It's because he decided he did not want to come back. So he declines re-signing with the team, citing philosophical differences. He doesn't say this, but you have to think that part of it is the fact that this team gave him a stroke during the season. <laughs> I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be laughing, but it, it just causes that kind of immediate reaction because I guarantee you that's what he thought. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why would I come back to work someplace that gave me a stroke? Yeah, when you, oh, oh boy, boy oh boy. But despite that, despite his health issues, despite the fact that the team underperformed, that they took a step backwards, they want him back. He says no, thank you. But the rest of the guys, that's includes Rednick, Lincoln, team president Chuck Armstrong, everybody else who put this team together, totally safe. Oh, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they be? And then, you know, uh, Howard, Howard Lincoln gets to be, uh, and Chuck Armstrong get to be completely incredulous against Sorensic uh, at the beginning of the 2016 season <laughs> when, they, uh, when they say that it, it took good old Jackie Z too long to figure out what he was doing. And I, I would say they were three years too late on that. They were. They were absolutely three years too late on that. But... They were still all in on this core of leadership after the season, which is mind-boggling. And we'll talk about just how out of touch Howard Lincoln was at this point. But like before we get to that, it was like we have to look at like what happened to this team because like expectations, like we talked about, weren't sky high. They weren't supposed to win the World Series. They were just supposed to not be terrible, and they couldn't do that. When you're when your basement is don't be last in almost every offensive category, don't be bad at the one thing you're supposed to be good at, and for the love of God, find a catcher who can hit at least consistently above the Mendoza line. Yeah, and stay within <laughs> nineteen games of the division leader. <laughs> I I feel like Tyler, I there are there are people that you and I know in our circle of friends here in our small town. I feel like we could put it together a pretty good team if those were our like minimum thresholds that yeah, we had. Yeah, that's to hit. all we had to do. <laughs> I could slow pitch the shit out of the American League West, man. I'm yeah. just telling you that right now. Worked for Jamie Moyer. <laughs> Touche. So, um,. Dave Cameron from the USS Mariner, he always has good quotes. We've, we've mentioned him before on the podcast, but uh, he had this to say about the season. The Mariners made this bed when they, left the front, when they let the front office try and build a winning team around dingers and voodoo. It has blown up in their faces in a comical way, and it's probably going to cost the people in charge their jobs. And he was only partially right... Yep, it only took three years after this <laughs> for all of these people to be fi- looking for new work. Yeah, that's, I think, a really great quote. Yeah, that was the thing that always drove me crazy, looking at just the lineup construction, like the roster construction of the Mariners under, under Jackie Z. He kept trying to sign these guys who were going to hit home runs, and then hope for the best with these guys who are rushed through the minors. Yep. Dingers and voodoo. Yep. That was his that was his mantra, I think. And so what you got was a team that finished second in the American League in home runs hit, but because nobody is getting on base in front of them, they're not scoring any runs when they're not hitting home runs. Right. You get a team that is at the bottom of the league in runs and RBI. And in the meantime, you are ruining the development of players like Mike Zanino, Justin Smoke, Nick Franklin to some extent, uh, Dustin Ackley to a larger extent, Brad Miller to some extent. 
Um, uh, Brandon Maurer was probably was brought up probably yes. sooner than he needed to be. Yeah, agreed. Jesus Montero, who could have definitely used some time to figure out what the hell he was doing with his life. Yeah, they needed to keep him uh, in New York. Yeah. <laughs> there was a way to go back in time to that, then that would be the move to make. Yeah. When you, when you look at the roster now, you go, well, of course they weren't successful. There's, there's no one on this team that you could point to was particularly good at, at any one thing except for uh, journeyman Kendris Morales. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and this is probably his worst season in the last five years. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if he's if he's worth devoting an, an, an episode to, but <laughs> he definitely did not play very well. No, but compared to what he was playing with, boom, cream of the crop. Yeah. So then, so we have all of this like disappointment flowing down, all of these guys not living up to expectations. And then you have Howard Lincoln, and we started off the the podcast talking about how this was. He said that this was the most disappointing and frustrating season that he's ever been involved with. And after the season, it, he gives this interview, and he just goes into depth, and it just you can tell that the season has kind of broken him, almost. Yikes! As it has broken so many others, I'm sure. Oh yeah. And, like, because you think about, like, he started in the early 2000s when all of this losing started. So he's seen a lot of disappointment and a lot of frustration. And this is is the year that really got him. And his quotes kind of go from being, like, yeah, I can see where he's coming from to what is he talking about? (laughs) So in an interview after the season... He is talking about this, the year, and he, he says, quote, This was the most disappointing, frustrating season I've ever endured without any question, and the reason I say that, at spring training, our expectations were very high, and I think that was justified. You were there, speaking to the, the person who's interviewing him, looking for any kind of validation. <laughs> quote, This looked really good. I didn't expect we were going to win the World Series, but I thought we were going to be very, very competitive. So I was very disappointed, probably more disappointed than any season that I've gone through. But there were good things that happened, and I think our fans see that too. They see that young talent, and we just have to be... Patient is not a good word, because our fans have been more than patient, which is probably the truest thing and the most <laughs> self-aware thing he's probably said in his entire career. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that he recognizes our struggle, at least. Yeah. Quote, but we certainly have to stay the course, but we don't. We don't have to. You could, you could change courses at this point. So see, we have to work with this young talent and develop it. So that's where I'm at. And the thing about that, though, is they didn't develop that young talent. They squandered that young talent and then traded away for basically nothing in return because they had destroyed the value of that young talent. Outside of Kyle Seeger, who I think just worked his way through whatever developmental challenges he he had to overcome in the uh, farm in the Seattle farm system. Uh, everyone else in that youth movement has found success some some form of success somewhere else. Yeah, and and, and not a great amount of success either. No, none of this these is guys not a, a an Adam Jones situation. No, but these were guys who were hitting up around the Mendoza line in Seattle year after year, striking out more often than not. And then they go to other teams and they become productive members of those teams. And you have to think, what is the, what is the common factor? You have, uh, these, you have these prospects who everybody sees as having some, some value to them. They're all supposed to be, turn into productive baseball players. None of them are that productive in Seattle. They go other places, boom, productive. Yeah, uh, it, I think almost immediately to Justin Smoke, yeah, um, who didn't particularly have a great batting average in 2015, but did make the playoffs in 2015 and um, wound up hitting 18 home runs. Um, and at, at this point in the season, is it, we're talking about 2016, is is hitting 297. Yeah. Um, 
with a, a great on-base percentage of 430. So, I mean, it, it's... There's a, a combination of a lack of development and a lack of coaching mm-hmm. that seems to be a, a pretty obvious problem in terms of hitters for the Seattle Mariners. Yeah. You do have to give them that overall, I, I would say their development of pitching prospects has been pretty good, especially when you consider what they've been able to do to kind of keep Taiwan Walker and James Paxton from imploding, um, not necessarily factoring in Paxton's injuries. You know, in 2016, the Mariners have unleashed Taiwan Walker, and he's been one of the good surprises this year so far. Um, but hitters, how how is it? so hard to to find uh, good hitters it seems it feels like every other team can manage to snag one out of a farm system at least every couple of years yeah i think part of it went has to go back to the leadership of the team and the kind of vision that they have for it. and that falls on Jackie Z oh, and at this Jackie point at this point, Howard Lincoln is just drinking the Kool-Aid on, on whatever plan Jack Sorensic is telling him that he has. So in that interview, he goes on to talk about, uh, about the GM saying, I think he's done a fair job, okay job, in the composition of the Major League roster. So even like he can't even go a full sentence without backtracking on, <laughs> on, how, on the job he thinks that he's doing, which is still overstating the job that he's doing. Oh, absolutely. So he goes on, he goes, I think he's made his share of mistakes, which is a pretty obvious thing to say, but no general manager bats a thousand. I think he learns from his mistakes, which is positive. So at least during his time in Seattle, Jack Zrenzik learned a lot of things. If he learned from his mistakes, then he learned quite a bit. So at least he has that going for him. Yeah, I... I... He he goes on to say about Sorensic, I think you have to be fair when you recognize general managers are going to make mistakes, which is a very pleasant and bland statement to make. Of course <laughs> they're going to make mistakes. That's we, yeah. we get it. We weren't expecting someone who was perfect. And even decisions that are not mistakes turn out to be bad because a player gets injured. Okay, yep, the hand of God kind of thing. Or uh, the player doesn't perform up to expectations based on history and whatnot, which makes me feel like maybe he hasn't been watching the Mariners for the last couple of years. No, why would he? <laughs> so he says, overall, I have, I continue to have confidence in Jack going forward. And it, it just, it, this is not based on any kind of like reality or statistics. It's, it, it seems to be that he's in denial that some of these things can actually be influenced and or corrected by a GM. Yeah, yeah. when you look at like, his evaluation, there are no positive statements in there. It's all, yeah, maybe, he, yeah, he's made mistakes, yeah, he's, he's, not hit, he's not getting all the things right, he's not doing a bunch of stuff right. But you know what, no, neither, everybody doesn't get it right all the time. And you're like, we don't need to get it right every time. But at this point, you can find a guy who's going to get it right maybe more often than, than what's happening here. And who yeah. actually has a vision of something that is, is feasible and workable other than continue to sign free-swinging first baseman DH people to platoon and hit solo home runs. Yeah. I, it, it's... Um... There, there is no reason at this point to have any confidence in Jack Sorensic, and it it, it it makes me not really miss Howard Lincoln either, <laughs> for the fact that he kept him around after that. Yeah, kept him around for another two seasons. Yeah, like at some point you have enough of a track record and enough of a resume to properly evaluate a a, a general manager. And after five years, 
and the team takes continues to take steps back and fails to live up to expectations and you're and you are acknowledging yeah he's made mistakes yeah it's not it hasn't been great yeah he's not doing a lot of stuff that I'd that maybe is working then that's that's the point where you can feel confident that hey we can make a change here I think yeah I tell you what they got to do is they got to find a way to end the season after April 3rd. We can submit for some kind of schedule change, but yeah. I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah, that would cut out like 160 games <laughs> from the schedule, so it might be it might be a tough sell, but I think that's that was what the 2013 team really needed. They needed they needed the to make an appeal. But you know the Y.O. wives are always complaining that the baseball season lasts too long anyway. Yeah, that would be that would be perfect for them. Two games, boom, done. Really, like two games and then football? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> you know the Mariners finish uh, a baseball season undefeated, and then we can get right on to football season. That's there you that. Go. I, I don't know if you could ask for anything else. <laughs> I, I have kind of a, a, a little bit of a my oh my moment, um, but I mean, really, this season was 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 pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Seeger did manage to draw sixty eight walks, um, which is uh, not great, uh, but led the team and uh, was the first hitter to have. Uh, 68 walks or more since Sean Figgins did it in 2010. And uh, they now are actually the only two players to have 68 walks or more um, since 2010. That's through the 2015 season. So on that mediocre note, (laughs) I think we have, yeah, I think we have really rung all the life that we can out of this 2013 season. And I think if we go too much further into it, we are both going to need some type of professional help, more so than we already do. Man, they are just terrible when you are in the middle of it. Oh, yeah. Um, Where can you find us? You can find us on Facebook. Uh, We have a Facebook page, YOY Podcast. We uh, we have a wonderful Gmail account that I encourage everyone to write into, yoypodcast uh, at gmail.com. Um, if your soul was crushed by the 2013 Mariners, we want to know about it. Uh, if you and uh, your lovable band of losers managed to beat the Mariners in extra innings in 2013, I want to hear about it. If you struck out a Mariners catcher, in 2013, uh, I mean, get in line. Yeah, I don't know if we have enough uh, space left in our in our Gmail to take all those emails at once. <laughs> now we still have blocked Bill Bavesi and Jack Sorensic, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, just checking. And we're on Twitter uh, at YOY Podcast. I uh, I actually downloaded Twitter onto my phone. It's a good first step. I I gave it a look through. It was confusing and very scary. <laughs> I was I was ill-equipped to handle it. Um, but uh, we have some cool Twitter news. I feel we like do. this would be this would be fun to talk about. Yeah, for reasons unbeknownst to us, Joey Bats, Jose Batista is following us on Twitter with the blue check mark, so we do know it's him. Yeah, the former AL home run leader. Following, uh, following hours, aficionado. Yeah, hours, hours. Truly, uh, the YOY podcast for no good reason. I've, I've, I can't imagine he actually listens to it. <laughs> but I wonder if maybe you know there are a couple former Mariners sneaking around on the Toronto Blue Jays roster. I'm wondering if maybe they, uh, they're, they're enjoying some of the pain we're inflicting on their former teammates and Mm -hmm. uh words words getting out there man i don't know i don't know what it is spreading like wildfire i i I love being immensely popular among a very (laughs) specific niche of people you can also find us on itunes rate and review us give us those stars oh man those tasty stars Mm. 
We crave them. All right, sir. This has been uh, sufficiently depressing. I, 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 I don't know what we'll do in terms of um, our format as we as we go on. I like I like doing the seasons. Uh, we have plenty more s- disappointing seasons to discuss. We have plenty more disappointing players to discuss. We'll try to keep you guys on your toes because we don't just want to depress you. We want to depress you in new and surprising ways every week. Yeah, we want to hurt you in ways that you didn't think you could be hurt. Yeah, much like the Mariners. Exactly. Uh, and with that, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon. <laughs>